Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Academy, announcing the 24th of our Italian Wine Ambassador courses to be held in London, Austria, and Hong Kong from the 27th to the 29th of July. Are you up for the challenge of this demanding course? Do you want to be the next Italian Wine Ambassador? Learn more and apply now at vinitaliinternational.com. Italian Wine Podcast, a Wine to Wine Business Forum 2021 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions highlighting the key themes and ideas from the two-day event held on October the 18th and 19th. 2021. This hybrid edition of the Business Forum was jam-packed with the most informed speakers discussing some of the hottest topics in the wine industry today. For more information, please visit winetowine.net and tune in every Thursday at 2pm Central European Time for more episodes recorded during this latest edition of Wine to Wine Business Forum. So, good afternoon. Thank you for, very much for the invitation. I'm Massimiliano Apollonio, the winemaker of uh, Apollonio Winery in Puglia. I am uh, the president of the tourism of Puglia of the uh, winery. Um, before start, <laughs> Movimento Turismo del Vino. Uh, yeah, there isn't a translation. Before starting, please uh, let me uh, congratulate to Stevie Kim, all the staff, because uh, Wine to Wine is, uh, became a really perfect. Uh, I'm very pleased to introduce uh, uh, Chris Barnes, founder of uh, Grape Collective in New York, a uh, publishing business that connects great wine writers and wine stories with uh, every level of wine enthusiasts and uh, helps facilities uh, wine buying. Uh, Chris will speak about uh, how content influenced online uh, offline retail, a uh, topic uh, really of great importance, especially of great relevance in this moment. Uh, welcome, Chris. Uh, I leave you the word. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. So I'm here to talk about uh, content and commerce and storytelling. Uh, storytelling is an important part of the human condition. Does anybody know what this is? It's a fresco. Does anyone know where it's from? Pompeii, exactly. It's exactly, it's from Pompeii. Yeah. So it's a couple who have just gotten married. He's a baker and that's his wife. And they've just moved into a new home. So they decided to paint a, a fresco on their wall to show off to all of their friends. So in fact, this is the, the first real selfie. And uh, you can see he's holding a scroll in his hand. And does anybody know what she's holding? No. It's a, it's a wax tablet and a stylus. Um, and uh, the scroll was the expensive form of communication in ancient Rome. So the, the subject matter came from uh, uh, Egypt, so if you were using a scroll, it had to be something that was very important. And the wax tablet was the, the most used communication device in ancient Rome. So what would happen is, let's call her Livia. So Livia, she goes out late. She has a few drinks. She wakes up the next morning. She wants to gossip. 
So she brings her scroll out. I mean, her uh, wax tablet. And she writes to her friend and she says, uh, OMG, did you see Drusilla last night? She was uh, all over Augustus. And she hands it to her servant. Her servant runs over to uh, her friend's house. Her friend looks at it. She laughs. She writes at the bottom of it, uh, LOL. And I knew that uh, Sneaky Augustus was uh, making his uh, way around. And she takes the, the wax tablet and she gives it to the servant who takes it to another friend. And then it gets back to, uh, it gets back to Livia. So what does this remind you of? It's kind of like the tablet is WhatsApp and the uh, servant is broadband, right? So the conditions that we live in right now are actually very similar to what has gone on with humankind for, for many, many years. Uh, what does this look like? It looks like an iPad, right? It's almost exactly the same size as an iPad. Well, this is, this is the wax tablet. Okay, here we go. Uh, so now I want to go back to ancient Greece and talk about Plato's cave or really a bastardizer, my bastardization of Plato's cave. Uh, so the way that Plato's cave works more or less is that uh, the enlightened, the unenlightened people were chained to the back of the cave and there was a fire and there were uh, uh, storytelling things that were transmitted on the wall and people were living in this sort of... Um, sense of unenlightenment because they were stuck back here and to be enlightened you had to go outside and you had to see the sun so the sun was like the pinnacle of enlightenment and you had to work your way through the cave to become enlightened and i think of this 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 parable of the cave in in the wine world in that if you think of the ideal customer experience in wine for me it's a customer is walking through a vineyard in tuscany with a winemaker on a beautiful day, it's a beautiful blue sky. The winemaker is talking about the, the soil, the family history, the grapes, they're putting a few grapes in their mouths. They're, it's this sort of transcendent experience and then they go back and they taste the wine. And then they get to the winery and it continues. But when that person goes back to New York or Toronto or wherever they're from, that experience lives with them forever. Whenever they try that wine, that's going to come back to them. They're going to think of that. That is the enlightened experience in terms of Plato's cave. And the unenlightened experience, the shadows on the wall, is the wine shop. And somebody goes in there, they're like, I'd like wine. And there's this entire wall of wine. The bottles look the same. Like, you have to take somebody from the unenlightened to the enlightened, to that great experience, right? And that's what storytelling does. Thank you for listening to Italian Wine Podcast. 
We know there are many of you listening out there, so we just want to interrupt for a small ask. Italian Wine Podcast is in the running for an award, the best podcast listening platform through the Podcast Awards, the People's Choice. Listener nominations is from July 1st to the 31st, and we would really appreciate your vote. We are hoping our listeners will come through for us. So if you have a second and could do this small thing for us, just head to italianwinepodcast.com from July 1st to the 31st and click the link. We thank you and back to the show. So I just wanted to say one thing before we talk specifically about the storytelling is that storytelling is not easy. It requires a fair amount of work. There's a lot of cost involved. There's time involved. Uh, People who work in wine shops are not paid like doctors and lawyers so they've got to they've got to communicate some fairly complex concepts uh and that is not easy and retail is not easy so you're having to do this within an environment where uh the internet is made wine a commodified price thing so people will look up and they know that this is selling over there for two dollars less and so it's hurting margins uh, there's price sensitivity, the cost of goods is going up. It's, it's a difficult environment to commit to storytelling. Um, but here's why storytelling is important. Storytelling creates experiences and it helps your business create relationships with consumers, which is very important. And yesterday, Robert talked about celebrity wines and how people buy because of their heart and in my mind, storytelling does a similar thing. It creates experiences that transcend the, the, just the purchasing uh, aspect of, of wine and going into a wine store. And I'm, I'm talking about two things in, in specific. One is uh, social currency, which means that, uh, uh, let's say Jane is at a party and she brought a nice bottle of bread from Liguria. And she's talking to Bob and she tells Bob, so, Bob, this wine comes from Liguria. It's made by this guy, Paolo Rufino. And Paolo's winery, Punta Corona, they saved this grape, Provino, from extinction. And Bob's like, wow, she knows a lot about wine. She's really smart, right? Bob then takes that story and tells it to someone else later in the party. That's social currency. You're, you're, you're gaining uh, a level of expertise and people look up to you. Uh, next, we talk about uh, personal esteem and self-actualization. And an easy way to think about that is a good wine gets better the more you know about it. So if you try a, a wine and you know where it's made and who's making it, it's a better wine, you enjoy it more, and it's a, a more fulfilling experience. Um, and then there's also some, I think, what I consider like technical aspects of how content can help you, which is... Uh, it gives you visibility, both online and offline. Uh, it creates referrals, uh, and it helps with SEO. Uh, so if you're creating content uh, about a specific winemaker, you're going to rank higher than you would if you were just a, sh- a store selling a bottle, right? I think that most people would understand that. It helps to generate leads. It improves your conversions, and it lowers your cost of acquisition. So content is king, but distribution is queen, and she wears the pants. Uh, I think that's a nice quote. Uh, In advertising, there's an expression that you can uh, have the biggest billboard in the world, but if it's stuck in the middle of the desert, it doesn't do you any good. 
So distribution is very, very important as it relates to, uh, to content. And I'm just outlining a few areas that we'll go into a little bit more detail. Uh, the photo is a, a shop which I think does this uh, fabulously, which is Noble Rot in London that most of you probably know. But they've created this wine zine. And it just it, it has built a level of authority. Uh, if you're a wine person and you're in London, you're probably going to go to Noble Rot. Um, and it's an extremely high quality uh, product as well. It's really very good. If you've not read it, I, I would recommend it. Um, so oral design, physical, digital, third-party articles by a PR or uh, organic, paid advertising, events, classes, and non-traditional. So shadows in the cave, oral storytelling. So for me, oral storytelling is probably the traditional way that most wine shops work. And you go into a store, you ask them for wine. A bad store says, well, we got this one for 12 and this one for 30, right? A great store, a store like Chamber Street in New York, which, which I'm very fond of, and I'm sure everybody has their favorite stores. The people know every wine. They know the stories behind the wine. They know the qualities. They can, they can really give you tremendous advice and, and they love it. You ask them. They're excited. They're passionate. Um, that's oral storytelling. But it is not easy because, again, we come back to the fact that these people who are working in these shops uh, are not the most highly paid people. So it requires a lot of training, a lot of education, and a lot of process in order to do that well. Uh, shadows in the cave design. So design is a is an element that I think is underused in uh, in most wine experiences, both online and offline. This is a restaurant in Cannes, and I went there. I was pretty blown away by the quality of these photographs. You know, when you go in there and you see these pictures of winemakers, that they have an authority, that they have a relationship with the winemakers, that they care, and you know that the list has been thoughtfully curated. Um, a picture is worth uh, 10,000 words. So uh, photography can help uh, make complex ideas simple. And here's another example. This is a hedonism in London. Um, they have some fabulous design aspects. This is a, a one room where it's, it's almost like a museum and you come out of there and, and it's something you, you will uh, tell other people about. It's one of their cars. You know, things like... Touch points like delivery vans, I think, are interesting because most people don't pay any attention to it. But it's a part of your brand, and it's a way that you can use visual storytelling uh, to enhance your business. This was a store I visited, Burlington, Vermont, and I was, like, blown away with this shelf talker. I mean, the shelf talker is such an important thing because you go in there, and most people, it's just a name and a price, right? But for 600 SKUs, they created... Uh, this level of detail, which has to be done in InDesign. So imagine the amount of new SKUs you're getting in every week and having to do that. The body, tannin, acidity, the farming practices, what it pairs with, you know. Th there's a level of care that takes it to the next level. Um, and window design. So windows, you have great department stores that spend a lot of time on windows. I was thinking about my window. I'm like, how can we create something ridiculous, just like fun, exciting, dynamic. And I'm like, okay, we're going to build a volcano in the window and put a train around it. And everybody thought it was a little bit of a dumb idea, except for me, but I make the decision, so I did it anyway. And I have to say, it's like it has created such a great space. People walk by, they talk about it, they come in. We have a, 
photography about other volcanic regions. We've got a, a TV that plays a loop of Mount Etna exploding. Uh, we've got uh, volcanic wine books for sale. We've got uh, olive oil from volcanic regions, uh, honey from volcanic regions. Uh, we have a piece of volcanic soil that people can pick up and hold. And we have, uh, of course, most importantly, volcanic wine. So they come in and people are connecting the idea that wine is from a place, right? And that's, for me, very important. Um, and that's my dog. Uh, so here's some other visual things that we did in the store that I, I think are interesting. Uh, here's a display of soil. Again, wine is from a place. So you can see soil from Lebanon, from the Loire Valley, from Bordeaux, from Tuscany. Uh, from uh, Croatia. We have a display on Tuscany, so we've created a, a magazine that they can take with them uh, that's four color and nice with photos, photographs of Tuscan winemakers, quotes, uh, maps. You know, it's just an idea of creating a, an immersive experience in a physical space. And lastly, a very important part of terroir is the people, right? So these are all uh, signed Polaroids that we have in a little area that people can look at. And again, it's a fun way of communicating visually. So talking about touch points, the bags that people have, uh, most you go to most wine stores and they're like brown or hopefully not plastic bags that, that look very uninteresting. But this is a key point of communication with customers, right? They take the bag, they go home, they take the the bottle out of the bag. And if you have interesting bags, then it helps you in your storytelling journey. So with our bags, we have uh, a third, which I haven't photographed here, but there's uh, cool illustrations with wine uh, pairing recommendations on the bag. And secondly, one with uh, old maps of wine regions. Um, the sandwich board is another fun thing. You know, it's a, it's a point of contact with your customers where, can, where you can really do something fun. So instead of just putting open, you know, nine to five, you have a fun quote or something funny. So when people walk by, it gives them a chuckle. It brightens the day. They take a photo. They Instagram it. You know, it's, it's a lively thing. Here's a fun wine store that had, I think, a cool thing with a, with a car in it, um, which, you know, is just visually very compelling. Uh, and this is uh, a video. So video combines both oral storytelling and photography, right? And talking about getting closer to the front of the cave. So this is uh, Nicholas, and he's in uh, the Var, which is an island in Croatia. And if you don't know that this wine is from there, you have no idea that it's built on these almost vertical slopes, that these are gnarly old vines, right? But if you watch this two-minute video and you see, you hear the story, this incredible story of the family, um, you get an understanding and it gives you context. And we go back to the point of social currency and self-actualization, right? It's a very interesting tool to get you closer to the front of Plato's cave. And again, it's, you know, I don't have to say, but uh, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook stories, in-store video, I mean, there's a ton of valuable places that you can use video. Social media. I don't have to tell anybody social media is important. Um, what I would say is focused on, on channel and audience. So make sure that you're delivering meaningful experiences that are contextually relevant. Um, 
you know, and, and in some cases be inspirational. Everybody's, everybody's got to be a little inspirational, right? Uh, it's only part of the toolbox, though. You have to practice uh, good SEO. And in my mind, targeted media, paid media is very important as well. Um, with regards to uh, Facebook, for example, if you if you have a large following on Facebook, very few people are going to see your post unless you pay Mr. Zuckerberg uh, because he he likes to get paid. But you know it's 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 important. Uh, and then tastings, virtual, both virtual and in-person tastings are important. So the tasting is the traditional way of. Um, uh, experiencing wine in a retail environment. And we thought about like, well, how can you make that more interesting? How can you get closer to the front of Plato's Cave? And we started working with 360 video. So you put the goggles on and you hear Nicola talk about his family and you can see the virtually steep slope that these are made on. You can see the gnarly vines and you can move your head around and really experience this. And then you you take the goggles off and you can taste the wine. You feel a piece of soil from that vineyard. You get a handout to go with you. You can look at photographs. You're creating an experience that, again, takes you closer to the front of Plato's Cave. Um, partnerships, uh, marketing partnerships. So, for example, I work closely with uh, a group in New York that does PR for new condo developments. And whenever they have a new building, they do an event. And rather than just say, come to our event, we create programming for them. So here's a book we did on uh, Chilean wines uh, with uh, Jonathan, who is a Chilean sommelier at one of the most expensive restaurants in the world. And everybody got a copy of the book. Everybody walked around the apartments. We sold wine. We made relationships, you know, the Chilean wine industry benefited because these stories were told. Um, so there are creative ways to create experiences and, again, take people closer to the front of the cave. So other types of authoritative content, uh, books, uh, online and offline, magazines, blogs. Here's a cool one, Berry Brothers. You buy a mixed case of Burgundy and you get this, like, cool book, you know. It's just a fun way of uh, educating people, creating brand loyalty. Um, podcasts, handouts, uh, movies, and classes are important, you know. Uh, I opened my second store in a town, Montclair, New Jersey, where there is uh, a shop that does WSET classes. And for me, that's great because you have a whole community of educated people that, you know, you don't have to start from the basics with. And the more education you do, the closer you can take people to the front of the, to the cave. Another benefit of storytelling is helping your employees. As we mentioned before, wine store employees are not paid like doctors or lawyers. So the more you can do for them, the better off you are in creating loyalty, in hiring good people and retaining good people, uh, creating a learning culture. So this is Marco. Uh, Marco uh, worked for me in New York for a number of years while he was doing his master's degree at Columbia. He used to, his family is from southern Italy, and uh, here he is on a press trip. Um, right now, Marco is in Calabria actually making wine 
that he is going to be bottling and selling in New York, in Great Collective, but also in restaurants and, and other areas. And I'll tell you, when Marco talks to a, a customer about Italian wine, like he's excited, you know, he's passionate. I mean, those people are getting closer to the front of the cave by talking to Marco. So the more we can do to find Marcos and keep them happy, the better we are, I think, as, as an industry. So lastly, I'm going to talk a little bit about tactics. Um, quality and authenticity, for me, are the most important things in creating content. Um, human, personal, relevant stories. You can chase clicks, and it might work in the short term, but for me, it's not a long-term strategy because you're not building trust. You're not building a relationship with your, uh, with your consumer or, or your follower. Uh, this is Dorothy Gator. Dorothy writes alongside her husband, uh, John Brecker, for, for Grape Collective every other week. Um, in my mind, she's one of the great wine journalists of all times. She's a great storyteller. She's a fabulous person. And I love this photo of her with Warren Winiarski, who's one of the legends of California wine. It just shows a, a warmth, uh, you know, a, a great quality. Um, creating content is a long game. It's, it's, it's not easy, and you're not going to fix it. You're not going to solve it quickly. So you have to think that you're gonna, it's going to take time and there's going to be a process of learning and making mistakes. And people want to be educated and uh, not pitched. So lastly, uh, embrace great storytelling. I, I love this quote from the CEO of Red Bull. Brands need to take the phrase acting like publishers literally. Uh, always tell stories before price. Uh, adapt a story to the channel. Know your audience. Um, Publish on a regular basis. Publish content from a number of people. If it's just one person doing it, it kind of it loses steam. It doesn't look like you're authoritative. And cover a, a unique variety of topics. So just don't focus on one thing, but, but give people a little bit of choice. And don't get blinded by tech. So when I first started Grape Collective, the whole idea of creating an experiential store was like, we need to do cool stuff, you know? And I was very focused on the idea of using QR codes so every bottle had some kind of story that you could put the phone up to and something would pop up, a video or an article or something. And the closer I got to it, I'm like, you know, people don't use QR because I'm not going to do it. We have to find another solution. So um, you have to think about tech in a very smart way. 99 Crimes with their, their whole hologram program, I think it's very smart for what they do. You know, they make a very commercial wine. Does that tech make sense for a, a small family winery? I don't know. Um, but you should, whatever tech you use, I think you need to stay true to the values of your product and be creative in the execution. And lastly, I would say try things. You know, we've tried a ton of things that we've done terribly at, and we just keep trying new things. So we've made some really bad books, um, but they're done. I'm making documentaries now. They may be good. They may not. We'll see. Time will tell. Um, and uh, that's it. That's all I got. Okay. So your moderator bailed because he had a um, plane to catch. Yes, I know. He, okay. he mentioned that. All right. So I, I told him I was going to shame him when he walked out. Yes, but. I'm going to. He, like, you know, gave me a kiss and then he left, which meant, like, I'm gone. Yeah. Okay. So I'm taking over. All right. All right. Matthew, question. 
Check. Check. Uh, nice presentation. Didn't have to break out the bananas or tomatoes. So nice uh, work. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> I have a question. How do you define a story, especially in wine? That's a good Great question. question. Great question. Yeah, that, that, that's a good question. You know, I think there's no perfect answer to that. But for me, the whole thing that you need to be thinking about is how can I make people's lives better? You know, how can I communicate something about my product that will enrich their lives in some way? And, you know, not, I don't, it's not about selling somebody, but it's about making them have a greater experience and at the same time, uh, bringing yourself up, you know, but, but for me, the most important thing in, in the process of communicating is like elevating the person or group that you're trying to communicate with. I'm just curious, going off of what Matthew asked, um, to flip this on its head, because a lot of what you were talking about was action you can take as a, as a seller. Uh, when I'm talking to my producers, what actions can I give them? Like, What pillars of a story would help you to take your actions? A lot of producers come to me and they say, you know, we're the 29th generation, blah, blah, blah. But what I want to help them focus with is what is the pillar of their story? What can I give you who are then you're going to take these actions? That, that's a great question. And I, I wish more people ask that question. Um, so for me, it's how do you create markups? You know, like that's the how do you create advocates like that of, of your, your wine or your region? Um, there's no easy way to do it because it's expensive to travel for sure. It's expensive to create collateral. Um, but certainly market visits are in, in my mind important. Uh, the more you can get a winemaker in front of a group of people, the better, the more you can communicate that. Secondly, I don't want to be mean, but most wine salespeople are not very thoughtful about the way that they represent their brands. They, they want to sell the wine. They want to get out. They want to go home, you know. So helping educate wine salespeople, giving them tools, whether it's uh, a magazine that they can hand out to someone, a video that they can share via email, um, but it's creating touch points. And it's not just doing it once, you know. It's creating a whole series of touch points, like, you know, if, Bob is the salesperson at David Bowler, for example. You know, like, how do we communicate things with Bob on a regular basis that he can then forward to his clients? And hopefully, if they're forwarding it to me, I'm like, you know what? They took a lot of time doing that. I'm going to forward this to the rest of my team. And secondly, when you're doing tastings, you know, how do you, like, a big tasting, like David Bowler has a big tasting. There's a lot of people there. You get palate fatigue very early, right? It's hard to remember many times what you liked or you didn't like. How do you create an experience at those tastings that get you closer to the front of the cave? You know, a lot of people bring, bring soil. It may be a little cliche, but I still think it's a good idea. You know, um, magazines, handouts, things that, things that show that you care and are being thoughtful about educating and helping um, so we're going to take Xiaowen and then we'll take Renee in the back. 
Thank you, Stevie. So, yeah, I have a question regarding to, like, I really enjoyed the presentation. There's a lot of visual parts you're doing to communicate the ones. So I have a question regarding to how do you provoke, like, the sensory, like, in terms of how to com communicate with consumers about aromas and flavors of the one, besides, like, they open the bottle and taste, like, how to communicate through content? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think for me, you know, we, we struggle a little bit with it for sure. Uh, and it's something that, that is on my list of things that we need to do better. Like I want to get to the point where I'm like the people in Vermont and I have something that good. I do have detailed descriptions of every single wine that we sell in the store, but it is not presented that well. And it's not at that level of detail, but we need to create content for each individual wine. Um, we taste with our team, you know, and it's about communicating the values of each individual, each individual wine with your team and making sure that they know what's in the bottle, who's making it, what the flavor profile is, what kind of things it can pair with. And there's just no easy way of doing that than just like really focusing on education, which I think is just very important. Yeah. Renee? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Christopher. This was a wonderful presentation. Uh, I thought it was really interesting to look at it from the retailer's perspective. My question is, a lot of it did focus on getting people to be interactive in the store and putting all your content towards getting those customers. Once you have those customers, is there any content points that you can create that are specifically to keep them those loyal customers forever? Maybe it's different. It, like, how do, would you go about that? Sure. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think what we try to do is, well, we, we produce an online wine magazine. So, for example, when somebody's checking out, it used pre-COVID, we used to have handouts for every single wine that we sold, or at least I'd say 90% of them. So there would be a two-page thing with information on who the winemaker was, what the soil was, you know, uh, what the profile of the wine was, uh, and some kind of narrative or interview or something about the, the region, the history of the winemaker. Um, so trying to create that document, which is like the social currency document that they could then take home with them. And there would be a QR code on it that they could snap with their phone and then they would get like more information, right? So that's one way. It's continually giving them more. Like every time we do something, it's like, how do we give more to the customer? Like that's the whole ethos. And if you if you make their lives better, you'll have loyal people. So so that's what we try to do both online, which is incredibly important. And I didn't, I, I touched a lot more on the physical pieces today, but, but the online piece is equally as important in terms of creating valuable content and things that they can look and refer to. Yeah. Any more questions? Um, so how much time are you, in terms of resources, are you dedicating to content building? Because it's, I mean, yeah. those are pretty detailed for every damn wine, have a two page, you know, information, info sheet, as well as everything else. So it, it's, it's difficult. There's no question about it. Um, and when I looked at the, the shelf talker from Vermont, I was like, I spent five minutes talking to the guy. I'm like, I just have to, you know, bow down to you because this is the best I've ever seen. You guys are great. Um, I'd say one thing that we do well, is that 
we encourage everybody to write for the site. So every single person that works for us contributes in some way to creating content. They're either editing content, filming, or uh, editing video, or they're, they're, they're writing for, for the blog. You know, we have, um, we have people going on press trips all the time to different regions. There, there's, I think, at least one person on a press trip right now. Um, so we encourage them to create their own content. And by doing that, they become advocates for that winery when they're talking to their colleagues as well as customers. So it's like trying to build an army of Marcos, you know? And, and I say I have a, a sales staff, but I also have a content team of 10 people that are working for me on a weekly basis. So it's not easy, but we, we do our best, yeah. But, I mean, I feel like the customers that come to your shop I mean, I, you have to, if you guys ever in New York, you should check it out. Other than the, the train track I hadn't seen, cause that's something yeah. that was post pandemic. Yeah. But it is definitely a, um, a boutique highly specialized, personalized type of wine retailer. Um, so I feel like the customers that come into your shop are already kind of the targeted. That you already had like the first screening of the more interested, the more knowledgeable type of, or more socially conscious, a type of audience. Is, is that correct? I mean, we have everybody that wants to come in and pick up a $12 Sauvignon Blanc to people that want to talk about Jura wines for, for two hours. You know, I mean, we, we have the gamut, um, but we definitely do attract people that care about wine that want to talk about wine, that are interested in wine. And, you know, when I'd say when we were doing these handouts pre-pandemic, we were offering them to each individual person when they were checking out. Probably 90% of the people took them, you know. Now, out of that 90, how many of them actually read them? Like, I, I couldn't tell you, but like, even if 30% of them read them, like, that's pretty good. You know, if 30% of the people can tell the the Paolo Rufina Punta Crena story to their neighbor, you know, like, that's a good day, right? Okay. Um, I think if there aren't any more questions, I'm going to close up the room. Oh, wait, one more question from online. So the question is from Alexander. Chris, are really most customers ready to get so much content about wine to educate? So I would say you have different types of customers for sure, you know, but because there is so many lively elements in the store, even the people that are like the Luddites that just want $12 Sauvignon Blanc, like eventually over time, because of the enthusiasm of the staff, because of the design elements, because of all the careful thought that goes into things, you can move people towards the front of the cave. Yeah. But of course there are people that they just don't care. They want something cheap and they want to go. But, um, you know, there, there are a lot of people that started out with very little knowledge that they've, you know, you see a curve and they become more interested and excited about it. And, th and that's fun. That's the fun part of doing it for sure. Well, I think um, Chris Bonds was incredibly generous. I Like a lot of New Yorkers, I think, even Steve Ray, I see him in the back. They present these things to you, they, this wealth of information and kind of glide over a lot of the facts and, and the rationale behind it but if i would highly recommend for you to go back and go through his slides because each one of those slides 
were incredibly generous with um, information and thoughtful insights. So thank you very much for that, Chris Barnes. Like, let's give it up for Chris Barnes. We have last session. Do you know this gentleman in, in the front row, by the way? I feel like he's he's a spy or he's your biggest fan club. Um, he's taking notes and everything. Thank you for coming. And um, I we will be back, I think, in half an hour. Um, what I would do is this. It's our last session. So if you grab a glass of wine, I don't know if we still have wine back there, then you can bring it back to the last session for the last class. Okay? All right. See you guys back in at 5 p.m. So grab a glass and come back for the Monopoly session. Thanks for listening to this episode of Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Vinitali Academy home of the gold standard of Italian wine education. Do you want to be the next ambassador? Apply online at vinitaliinternational.com for courses in London, Austria, and Hong Kong, the 27th to the 29th of July. Remember to subscribe and like Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find our entire back catalog of episodes at italianwinepodcast.com. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.